everyone. Kids, you are dismissed for Gospel Project. Go have a great time learning, and thank you adults who are helping to lead them. Uh, we will be today in Proverbs chapter 9, so if you brought a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Um, if not, there should be a Bible in the seat in front of you, underneath. Feel free to take that if you don't own a copy of, your, a copy of the Bible yourself. Uh, today is our last day in this uh, introductory series that we're essentially the last couple of weeks been surveying questions like, um, what is wisdom? What is the book of Proverbs? Where does wisdom come from? Where does it start? And uh, today we're going to conclude that. If you've ever read through the book, you may have noticed that essentially the first nine chapters are not, most of them are not Proverbs in particular. They're setting up what's coming in the rest of the book. So we've tried to follow that model in the start of our series. Next week, we'll begin looking at individual Proverbs and the collection of those around particular topics. So I'm looking forward to that and doing that with you. The book of Proverbs teaches that every one of us chooses a path to walk in life. And there's only two paths to pick. There's not a myriad of choices. It looks like it. But in actuality, there's only two paths of life. There's only two ways to live. When you boil it all down deeper than, than where we're from or how much money we have or what level of education we've attained or who we know, what kind of personality we have, what we look like, all those things that we typically think of as making us who we are, beneath those things, our lives are quite simply which path we're choosing to walk. Amidst all the choices, confusions, options, possibilities, every day we pick a path to walk, the path of wisdom or the path of folly. One of the metaphors Proverbs uses to get at these two different paths is to picture two houses. So imagine a street this morning, if you would, and on that street there's only two houses, and there are people in each house inviting you home for dinner. That's what Proverbs 9 teaches us. In one house, there's life and joy and peace and kindness, productivity. That's the house where wisdom lives. On the other side of the street, there's a house where there's lots of temporary pleasures on the front porch. It looks like the better house. It's the house that's easier to wind up in. And for a while, it's a fun place to live. But inside that house, it's overrun with darkness, pain, disillusionment, chaos, death. That's folly. On one side of the house, the door stands wide open. On the other side of the house, the door stands wide open. On the right side, Lady Wisdom lives there. Wisdom is personified in Proverbs as an elegant, classy, godly, wise woman. And this lady is inviting you home for dinner. Lady Wisdom has sent out her people all over town inviting you to come home, to come to a place of wisdom, to come to a house where there's life and joy and peace and productivity. It's all there. The table's already set. The food is ready. You just have to pull up a chair. But on the other side of the house, woman folly is doing the same thing. 
Folly's house is wide open. She's having a meal too. And she looks pretty good. In fact, she's seductive. She promises a lot and asks for almost nothing in return. Friends, today is decision day. Which gal are you going to go home with? Lady Wisdom or Woman Folly? Which house will you live in? Which path will you choose to walk on? Now, all of this sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? This is not the way we typically talk to each other. So, unless you think I took another two-by-four to the head, <laughs> let me just show you. Proverbs 9 And watch these images as we read it together, starting in verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. This classy, elegant, wonderful woman has finished her work. She's prepared a massive feast and she's sent out her messengers. She's inviting people to come who don't deserve the blessing of sitting at her table. Do you hear that? It's not... Come home to wisdom because you've earned it, because you've lived a wise life, because you've made lots of great decisions and you deserve to be here. No, it's quite the opposite. It's, you've been an idiot, but my door is still open. Would you come and feast with me? Remember, this isn't a literal woman and this isn't a literal house. It's a picture of what kind of life every day you're going to choose to cultivate. It's a provocative picture of what path you'll live on. Now, why did the author of Proverbs, the authors of Proverbs, choose to picture wisdom wisdom as a woman? Well, who was the book originally written to? Young men. What do young men think about? Food and women. (laughs) Right? In all seriousness. The things of God are immensely practical, and so God speaks to us in ways we can understand them. Ultimately, this woman is a picture of an invitation to repent and receive Jesus Christ. Woman wisdom is a picture of Jesus. Because, you see, Jesus has made a feast, and he's invited you to sit at the table with him. Do you see that? Verse 3, it says that she calls out the simple Verse 4 invites people who lack sense to come. In other words, this is a a feast of grace for the undeserved. Lady Wisdom's call is the call of the gospel. Because Jesus, of course, has prepared the ultimate banquet and invites simple sinners to turn from sin and turn to him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Friends, there is a life of joy and peace and kindness and productivity and godliness available to every single person sitting in the room today, regardless of the endless, stupid, idiotic decisions you've made and the things people have done to you. 
there is a door wide open. And Lady Wisdom, Jesus Christ himself, is saying, come sit with me. Now jump down to verse 13. Let's look at the second house. Verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes a seat at the highest place in town calling to those who pass by, who are going straight along on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are in there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This house is really different. This house is a different path. Not wisdom, but folly lives there. The door's open. It's easy to go in. But notice the image that's being given to us. Notice she's sitting. She hasn't done any work. She hasn't prepared a banquet. There is no feast. But her voice is loud. She is easier to listen to than Lady Wisdom. Her voice is bigger. Her invitation is stronger. There's no feast, but she's easy. She's seductive. She's calling out really loud. I think the weirdest verse in that section is verse 17. Stolen water is sweet and hidden bread in secret and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Now, now catch the image. The first woman offered us what? Wine. The best of wine. And the best of meat. And what does Lady Folly offer? Water and stolen bread. What does that mean? This is a picture of the lying nature of sin. It's a picture of the deceptiveness of sin. The image is so stark. Do you want wine and meat or pieces of bread and water? All of us would say, of course I want wine and meat. But we make decisions every day where we choose bread and water instead. You see, folly lies, but she's enticing. Here's what she's saying. Real delight is found in what God has forbidden. If you want the good stuff in life, then set that spiritual Christianity junk to the side and come to the feast. Join me. You can't count on God to give you what's best. That's what she's saying. It's no different than what Satan said to Eve in the garden. Did God really say that? Are you sure? Are you positive? I don't think he really wants what's best for you. He's just an angry taskmaster. That's what Lady Folly is saying. So if you think back to our previous couple of messages, beats by Dr. Dre for $7 a month. That makes sense to sinners, doesn't it? A little emotional affair at work because 
your husband isn't providing for you at home emotionally. You don't actually touch him. You don't sleep with him. But you give your heart over to him. That makes sense to sinners. Blowing up in anger over somebody that, at somebody who's hurt you, who wronged you, and then putting up a wall so nobody else can get in. That makes sense to sinners. Putting off becoming a Christian or getting serious about walking with God until you get older. That makes sense to sinners. Does it not? That's woman folly. Whatever you can do in secret is better. Folly promises the quick and easy path to joy. And it is awfully easy to listen to her. She's sweet momentarily. It's fun to do naughty things in private. But it's just a cheap thrill. It's a wonderful few minutes when wisdom offers a lifetime of joy. But choosing the second house, walking the path of folly, listening to the voice of evil, while it's easier... It ends in darkness, pain, disappointment, chaos, and death. So what Proverbs 9 is telling us today, brothers and sisters, is we face the choice of which house we live in every single day. And those choices we make often consist of things that seem insignificant in the moment. But in the end, they determine where your life ends up. So I'll put that another way. Will we rest in and long for and run to and obey God, trusting in his grace that he is better? Or will we choose the momentary pleasures of sin that ultimately lead to death? You don't ever graduate past that choice. You make that choice every day, hundreds of times. Proverbs brilliantly forces the question, Will we believe God is right and has our best in mind? Or will we go home with Lady Folly for a quick little pleasure? And frankly, I don't think that choice gets any easier when you get older or you've been mature, more mature or you've walked with Jesus longer. It just changes what things happen to be enticing and what things don't. Proverbs forces that question, and it's far from easy. All of us have felt the thrill of sin followed by guilt and shame and loneliness and bitterness, only to get up and do it again the next day. Right? Am I the only one? In this series, we're going to look at extremely practical issues and learn when we face that choice, we hear Lady Wisdom whispering, but we hear woman folly shouting. How do we choose the right path? How do we choose who we're going to go home with? That's what the book of Proverbs is about. Proverbs says we'll make the choice every day between lady wisdom and woman folly all day, every day, hundreds of times, over and over and over. And the trajectory of your life is not in those two, three, four major decisions you make. It's in the little decisions you make every day. That will determine which house you spend eternity in. The decision between working hard and cutting corners is the choice of godly wisdom or sinful folly. 
the decision of listening to counsel when you're confronted by people that love you, or choosing to push away from confrontation. That is the choice of wisdom and folly. That's what Proverbs 9 ultimately says. That middle section I didn't read says, scoffers, here's what you do. And so it's telling us, really, much of what our lives become is do we listen to godly people who confront us in our sin, or do we push them away? The decision between cutting somebody down in anger that hurt us or forgiving and being kind is which woman are you going home with? The decision between buying stuff you don't need with money you don't have versus living modestly and giving joyfully is the choice of wisdom or folly. The decision between who you're friends with and who you look up to and who you think of as successful is the choice of wisdom and folly. The decision between taking a second glance at an attractive woman or turning away so you don't lust is a decision of wisdom and folly. We could go on and on and on and on for the rest of the day, couldn't we? It's, it's those little decisions in everyday life that determine whether we'll eat wine and meat or stolen bread and water. But because human beings are born with a depraved, sinful nature, in other words, in non-theological language, we are not clean slates. You're not born neutral. Human beings are born with a nature bent away from God. And when we're saved, when Christ rescued us, we get a new nature, but our minds have been programmed to live according to that old nature. And so for the rest of our Christianity, basically what's happening is we're choosing will we believe lies from our mind that tell us to live like we still have that sinful nature? Or will we choose to believe in Lady Wisdom? And because of the way that process works, many times, apart from Christ, everyone gravitates towards evil, don't we? Without God, our bent is away from wisdom. Therefore, as a result, you've got to try really, really, really hard to put your fingers in your ears and tell folly to go away because it's everywhere. And gosh darn it, it makes sense to sinful hearts. That's why those images are given to us in such contrast the very best of banquets. And the, the enticing pull of what feels like it can be done in private and no one will ever know. When it comes down to issues of wisdom in daily life, wisdom or folly, friends, complacency and indifference will destroy you if you do not fight back with grace-driven, God-focused effort. The decision to walk the path of wisdom is a daily decision to choose to put Christ first and to work really hard at making good choices, wise choices, with God's people in community. But it's not the easier way. It's the more difficult way. So in our remaining time together, I'd love to show you 
how Proverbs 1 through 9 teaches us to walk the path of wisdom. How to choose to go home with the right woman. How to have that great feast, not that pathetic one that's only going to disappoint you. I'd like to show you how to choose wisdom and the benefits you'll get by doing so. Sound good? All right, turn back to Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2 is in the Bible to teach us how to do that. That is its purpose. Proverbs 2. So we're going to fly through this chapter, but I just want to show you two things. How to choose wisdom and the benefits you get from doing so. How to choose it and the benefits you get from doing so. So verse 1. My son... If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures. Let's stop just for a moment there. Is is this father detached and unengaged from his son? No, No, he is all in, isn't he? I mean, look at the verbs. Receive, treasure up, make your ear attentive, call out, raise your voice, seek for it like treasure. These are all active verbs telling him, you've got to work for this. Why? Because folly is seductive. She's a hot woman. And she's always crying out for you to come home with her. And wisdom is modest. She's better, but she's... She's covered up. That's what he's saying to his son. Parents in the room, you know these kinds of conversations with your kids. The the conversations when you're, you're begging with them, you're pleading with them to make the right decision. But you know you can't do it for them. God, our heavenly father, is begging, pleading, urging us, his kids, to make the right decisions but you have to make the right decisions yourself. A good father knows what his kids need to survive. What is it? He needs wisdom. He needs wisdom to survive. Now, the thing he says in the next verse is is really surprising. It's not what we expect. He says, son, if you listen and heed, if you take God's word to heart, if you pursue it, not because you want to please daddy, but because it's the best possible thing, then you're going to end up with God. Look at that with me, verse 4. If you seek it, the it is wisdom. If you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and you will find knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Friends, do you want to grow in wisdom? Or if we say that in just common, everyday vernacular, do you want to quit making stupid decisions that hurt you and hurt people around you? Gosh, who would say no to that? Do you want to make decisions that sow a life of joy and peace and kindness, and generosity. 
a life that you can sit down on the inside, a life of peace. Do you want that? Then here's, here's the principle. Seek wisdom, find God. Find God, gain wisdom. That's what the Father is telling the Son. In the everyday stuff of life that might seem detached from spiritual things, in the little tiny decisions we make that don't seem like they amount to much, in those moments when we feel a pull inside, ah, oh, what is the right thing to do? All of those issues of everyday life are given to us by God in order that as we seek wisdom in making those decisions, we find Him in the little things of everyday life. And when we find Him, then we get wisdom. Now, that's not a formula. Like, I can't give you a rubric for that, and you'll make the right decision every time. Why? Because God wants a relationship with you. He wants you to relate to Him as your perfect heavenly Father. And so, the, the stretching and pulling and growth and struggle in everyday life is what we need in order to keep us seeking him on our knees, asking for help. Because if we didn't have it, we wouldn't do it because we're bent away from God. Are you with me? So the struggle is hard, but the struggle is what must be there in order for us to grow spiritually. Seek wisdom, find God. Find God, gain wisdom. Or to put that another way, the desire for wisdom is simply the desire for God. The key to a wise, practical, daily life is God. So how does that happen? What does that look like? It's the same exact thing I said last week. You ready? I'm going to push repeat. Ready? Repeat. Read your Bible. Pray. Get around other people who are doing the same thing. And find God in the Word. And lean into Him so that you can live out what you're finding to be true in the Scriptures. It is as simple as that. When we admit that we don't know, which drives us to the Scriptures... Because we trust the God who does know, then we gain the awe, the reverence, the fear of God. That circles all the way back around to wisdom. So you get an email and you are really frustrated that this person would send that. Because they're not going to say that to you in person, right? And you're frustrated. It's nasty. They shouldn't have done it. You have every right to send the same thing back. It's, this cycle is as practical as that. How do I wisely respond to this person who is a total butthead? You seek wisdom, find God. God, help me to think why, what might be going on in this person's life that would prompt them to act that way? Why are they hiding behind a computer screen? How can I communicate love and grace to them? How can I be a living picture of the gospel in what I type in a few sentences? It's that, it is that raw and simple. 
That is what makes up our lives. We gain the awe of God leading to wisdom in the stuff of everyday life. But you've got to want it. Proverbs 2 and Proverbs 9 both make very clear this does not just happen. It comes through grace-driven effort that always is accompanied by some failures. But God is a God of grace. And so that table at wisdom's house is a table whose legs are held up not by your works, not by your good efforts, but by the grace of Christ, by the cross of Christ. So you're always welcome at that table, Christian. The way we get there is to pursue a closer relationship with God that's rooted in the gospel by daily prayer, daily studying the Bible, daily living in the context of biblical community. When we do so, then there is a trajectory of our lives where we make fewer and fewer stupid decisions to the glory of God. Praise God for that. Now, the rest of Proverbs 2 gives three benefits of wisdom. And I, we don't have time to go through them, but I just want to point them out to you, and perhaps you can gather together with another brother or sister this week and talk about them together. Here's what they are. First, it says that if you gain wisdom, a benefit you have is you're protected from evil men. There's a protection from evil men. And what he's talking about is you, you have good friends and mentors. If you're seeking a life of wisdom, you're going to end up being surrounded by people who love God and help you make progress in the faith. And in that way, you're protected from those who seek to harm you. Now, he's not saying don't have non-Christian friends. Don't live your life on mission. Don't be around people who don't love God. Of course, that's not his point. But he is getting at who do you take counsel from? Who do you open up the areas of your heart where there's struggle? Well, those ought to be people who help you grow, right? And so wisdom provides those kinds of relationships. And the context of that, of course, is membership in a local church. Second, he says that you'll gain a protection from dangerous women. You'll gain a protection from dangerous women. In other words, a wise person growing in maturity, pursuing godly wisdom, will exercise discretion in romantic relationships. Friends, our society is being ravaged by sexual carnage. Absolutely ravaged. None of us are immune from ending up doing things with people we never dreamed we would do. How do you avoid that? You, you live in this cycle. God's word, prayer, seeking God with God's people, gaining wisdom. That will help you not look for what you can only gain from God in sex. And third, he says you gain the promise of God's presence. So a life of wisdom will provide good friends and mentors. It will give discretion in romantic relationships. And it will give you a life through the gospel of striving not to gain something from God, but to rest in his presence. That's what the image of land is ultimately about in the Old Testament. 
Now, um, I'm aware that this is um, an abstract, difficult concept to get your heads around. So let's put it all together. Seek wisdom, find God, find God, gain wisdom. And wisdom will give you the armor you need to live through the battles of everyday life. Wisdom will protect you from people who only seek your harm. Wisdom will protect you from the ravages of porn, which people can end up so deeply involved in that when you actually get a relationship in marriage, you you physically can't do what God would love for you to do. Wisdom ultimately gives rest. The rest, the satisfaction of sitting at a banquet in God's presence. Now, what do you do with a sermon like this? Well, we all make a choice of who we're going to dine with. No one is picking you up and forcing you into Folly's home. No one is dumping you in a straitjacket and holding up the fork and putting those pieces of stolen bread in your mouth. We choose which house we're going to make our home in. So in light of that fact, here's two practical things to do with this. First, strive for wisdom. Want it, seek it, actively pursue it. Don't be content without it. Don't be satisfied till you have it. Grow in wisdom. This is a matter of life and death. This is not a side thing for those advanced in Christianity. This is how do you live every single day. You and I, no matter how smart we are, how attractive we are, how much money we have, how good our jobs are, whether we have PhDs, we will make a wreck of our lives apart from wisdom. So strive passionately for the fear of God that leads to wisdom. Immerse yourself in the study of God's word. Get together with fellow Christians to pray, to study, to talk about the things of God. Don't give leftovers to your church family. Start with God and God's people and then figure out how the rest of life fills itself in. Expect striving to be difficult. There's a reason the Father in Proverbs 2 uses these words that require effort. It's because this doesn't just happen. You've got to work at it. And we need each other in order to do that. Fight for growth by God's grace. Strive for wisdom. Work hard for it. And yet, here's the second thing. Recognize that wisdom is a gift from God. Just like salvation, wisdom is a package given to us by God. God has to give it. You can't just go take it. So seek him. And when you grow, give him the credit. When you face temptation and you meet it, praise God for it. When you, make, when you get an email like that, and the last time you got it, you, you, you sent one back but this time you didn't. What do you do? You don't pat yourself on the back and say, oh, I'm such a great godly person. No, you say, thank God. I, I didn't eat with that 
seductive woman again. When you see a brother or sister in Christ, resist a temptation and choose godliness. Go to him or her and say, look at what God just did. All of that helps protect us from pride in thinking that we have gained wisdom because we are so great. That's not how it works. You've got to strive for wisdom and you've got to recognize it's a gift from God. In this series, we keep coming to things that seem contradictory, don't we? That seem paradoxical. But that is exactly how salvation works. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 put it better than any place in the entire Bible, I think. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What is he saying? A right relationship with God isn't something you had anything to do with. So if you're here today and you're a brother or sister, you are a member of God's family. God is your father. Christ is your brother. The spirit lives within you. You're saved. You had absolutely nothing to do with that. God graciously, sovereignly chose you, removed the blinders from your eyes so that you could see the glory of God in the gospel. And then you chose to respond in faith. And now you're in his family. But that was a gift. You brought only sin and got only God's perfection. That's a pretty good trade, right? Now, I became a Christian at age 11. And when that exchange happened, I thought the rest of my Christian life would also work the exact same way. So I thought, I was sitting in a church service listening to someone preach, and the gospel clicked. It made sense. I understood. Why? Because God was doing that electing in my life. He pulled the blinders back. And I, with no effort of my own, then could respond to the grace of God. That's how salvation happens. But I thought that's how growth in godliness happens. I thought that's how growth in wisdom happens. You understand? So in other words, I thought, I don't have to do anything to make progress spiritually. It's going to come just like sitting and hearing the gospel did. But that's not how it works. Salvation happens as a complete, total gift of God. Growth in wisdom, sanctification, holiness, progress, less dumb decisions, more wise decisions, happens through the co-laboring of my efforts fueled by God's grace and God making that actually possible. So for practical purposes, I spent seven, eight, nine years worse off as a Christian than I was without God because I was full of doubt, struggle, question. Why does this not seem to work? Everybody else around me, seems to want to pray, understand the Bible, not get attracted to people they shouldn't be, not rip other people's heads off. I got that Jesus guy, but it's not seeming like that took. I didn't understand 
the difference. But yet, here it is, right here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because God put himself inside of me, but I still fight with sin. God works himself out because he's worked in. Friends, many of us are, in terms of wisdom, we're infants. And we ought to be senior adults with walkers that everyone's flocking to to know how to live. And we can get there because God's a gracious God. But you've got to want it more than you want anything else. Not because you need to earn your salvation, but because God expects you, Christian, to work out what he is working in. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are sovereignly, graciously, wonderfully saving sinners, rescuing us 